On today's show, Darius Garland dropped 46, but the Cavs lost to the Nets. Danny Cunningham, we're going to talk about that game and more on this show. You are Locked On Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. The music you heard on the way in is from our friends at Astro Radio. Check them out on Apple Music or Spotify. I'm Chris Manning. I cover the Cavs and the NBA for places like Diamond Up Rocks and SB Nations for the Sword. That man over there is Danny Cunningham stepping in for Evan Damerel. Once again, you can find him on the airways and read him at ESPN 850 WTAM 1100. Danny, Cavs Nets. Cleveland loses this game 123 117, Darius Garland, 46 points, 8 assists, only 1 turnover. He was really by far the most impactful Cavalier. A lot of ways we can go with this one. Um, we'll, we'll, later in the show, we're going to talk a little bit about the Raptors game and I think some linkage between that game and this game. But, Danny, your big takeaway from this game, what is it? I mean, Garland was awesome. Um, I think that's the thing that sticks out most when you watch this game. But I think that my big takeaway, and I'm sure we'll dive into this more, is that the Cavs really need to add more shooting because I thought that's where this game was lost. Um, aside from, you know, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving just being awesome, where they both had 32 points, they combined shoot 57% from the floor. Um, but the Cavs don't have enough shooting to to withstand that type of night where you know, Garland or even Mitchell at times are able to penetrate the the key and then they're throwing it out to Lamar Stevens or Isaac Okoro or even at times Evan Mobley and the Nets just don't care. Um, And that's kind of something that I thought tonight really, really stuck out like a sore thumb in a way that it really hasn't for most of the year. There have been nights where that's been the case, but I thought that, you know, this game Monday night against Brooklyn was the most evident of that. This was one of those games where it ha- it didn't have maybe like the are- in arena energy or the, the the tension of some of the other games. I think we've seen this year. I think of the Boston game as maybe being the most tense Cavs game I was at all year. I thought that just because of maybe LeBron, there was the hoopla um, of that that kind of took that to another level. But this was like a big game. This sure. was them surviving Kevin Durant. This was them surviving trying to survive Kyrie Irving. This was them. It felt like at times like J.B. Bickerstaff trying to adjust in game in a very kind of reactive way that we don't always see from him. And I thought that was sort of an interesting wrinkle to this. I mean, you know, it's it felt notable to me, Danny, that like, you know, the Lamar Stevens start, he starts, he starts on Kevin Durant. And then when this game kind of gets closer and, and when they make an adjustment, you know, Jetty Osmond's the three. They, they go to Jetty and he trusts that. A guy that he has had, I think, a, a love-hate relationship in terms of his willingness to play him all the time this year. Uh, this was Darius Garland having to kind of ascend in some ways, right? With Don Ben Simmons doing a really good job on Donovan Mitchell and Donovan having to impact the game in other ways. They take some lumps in this game that I think probably they will look back on and say, okay, we went through some of this. That's good for us. I think the three-point shooting, though, and, and some of the structural issues sometimes I feel with this offense, I think kind of dig to your head. And it feels like this is a thing, Danny, that we get to April – the Cavs make it that they, they make it to April, they get into the playoffs, and maybe make it to May. 
this is one of those things that they are going to see. Like this is just like a a defensive structure and defensive funneling of what their offense looks like that they're just going to have to deal with and find solutions for or take the shots and hope some enough of them go in and they get a little bit lucky. Like that's just kind of what feels like staring them down the barrel right now after this game, after the Toronto game and kind of what we've seen this year in games that are close. Yeah, good teams that have the ability to you know, survive against Mitchell and, and Garland. And, you know, we can talk about what the Nets really did to Donovan Mitchell tonight. Really, I think that's kind of the linkage that you mentioned between tonight's game and the, the Raptors game on Friday night. Um, but good teams are not going to defend Isaac Okoro in the corner. They're not going to sell out to defend Evan Mobley in the corner. They're really not going to defend Lamar Stevens in the corner. Of those three guys, I think he's the one that is just routinely given the most space out there. The good you teams can see are not. Him, are, you see him freaking out. Not freaking out. That's too strong. You see him processing this now. He realizes it. Yes. And it's in his head. And it was in Okora's head. And his response was, I'm going to shoot these shots. And he missed his two tonight. But I like the process of him taking them. Lamar feels like, okay, like, do I need to dribble in? And sometimes that's not the right decision. There was a play in that where he drives in and it just made things worse. Like the dart in was not the right play. He should have just taken the shot. And you have to just take that shot, I think. J.B. Bickerstaff, who does not necessarily love analytics or even moderately <laughs> advanced stats, I asked him a question about, about the offense and he cited effective field goal percentage, which might as well be of him citing Albert Einstein in like a theory or like or or like or like RPM or something, right? He is. There's an acknowledgement there that that is like a high value shot that you need to make, and the Cavs don't take a lot of them. Yeah. They just don't, and they kind of know like that shot is there. And him acknowledging that that's a shot that is there, I think it's this is something they know about. But continue. Well, I mean, just how much different would the offense look if they had someone that could make forty percent of their corner threes? You don't have to do anything else offensively. You stand there and make forty percent of your corner threes. This The Cavs, I don't know what their offensive rating is after tonight. I'm sure it went up because they actually had a relatively good night offensively. Like, they scored 117 points. Their offensive rating was like 120. But they came in the night with an offensive rating of 113.2. If you add a legitimate shooter in the, in the corner, they are one of the best offenses in the league. That is the only thing that's holding them back right now. That's it. The, the 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 thing I will say internally is if you look at I, I would say Dean Wade has not proven to have been like an an a, elite elite shooter, but for the year, uh he is at fifty four percent on corner threes. He's at forty one percent from on, on threes for the year. Last year he had a last year had a very weird year where it was twenty four percent of corner threes, thirty four percent overall. He's kind of had like a, a little bit of up and down and some weirdness in his three point shooting numbers. I don't know what to make of that. And just the amount of minutes he's played and everything, but like he's a guy that I think if you you would trust him taking that shot significantly more than you'd like to have Lamar Stevens take, and he's got a little more juice off the yes. bounce as well. Maybe you're sacrificing some of the defensive stuff, but I think if you're the Cavs and you're saying, okay, how do we compete better against Toronto? How do we compete better against Brooklyn? And maybe give ourselves a better chance to beat a Boston or Milwaukee this year. I, I think like that's the kind of player that can make a difference. And if you can, we'll, we'll get to this closer to February when the trade market really heats up. But like the Cavs, like would if they should be a team that calls about Bojan Bogdanovic from Detroit, they should be a team that calls out calls for calls about Kyle Kuzma or Harrison Barnes. This is a team that Danny that I think you look at what Utah Wantanabe is doing for Brooklyn, and it's like that's the kind of guy you should be throwing 
your minimum contract, your two-way slots at, trying to find a guy like that. Like, yes. Utah Watanabe is this guy who had all these pieces put together in Toronto and was a really good player, was not shooting well. He, they, For whatever reason, he's shooting the lights out of the ball this year and his spacing. He's in the closing lineup for Toronto in this game. Partially, you know, K, that's before KD even fouls out. He's in the game when KD is still on the floor. He's part of that closing look for them in this game. And He plays real trust- important minutes for the Brooklyn Nets. And all he does, he spaces in the corner, he plays defense, he helps. He's a really smart player and just an impactful, solid role player. You have to find guys like that. And look, Lamar was a was a was a guy that like was that. There are things he does that are positive. Maybe in a different structure where there's more spacing, he looks a little bit different. But like that's that's a position in the way the game works right now that where like that guy has to provide the spacing, and it's just a tricky thing to figure that out. I don't I don't know what the solution is for some of the stuff coming out of a game like this. I think maybe they just make their shots and Lamar was two or four from three and it's fine. But there's there's some things to overcome and figure out, I think, for this team as we win. That that is what this game tells me more than anything else. Yeah, and I, I mean the Cavs took a ton of corner threes tonight, as you mentioned, more than they take on a regular basis. It's not a shot that they hunt for the way that a lot of teams hunt for because it's not a shot that they're particularly good at. But it's really difficult in, you know, 2022, soon to be 2023, to have three guys that are not considered threats from beyond the three-point arc in your starting lineup. And that's how the Cavs are operating right now. And it's how they're going to be operating for the foreseeable. I mean, I, I I would have to think that a night like tonight really pushes the Cavs towards having Dean Wade be the starting three again when he's healthy mm. if they if that's not where they were going already. Yeah, I... I think the Lamar as a starter thing should be done. Were you surprised that he started instead of Okoro? Because I did think Okoro had been playing really well in that starting group. Like I was a little bit surprised to get to shoot around Monday morning and Lamar Stevens was wearing a wine colored practice jersey with the rest of the starters that I, I was a little bit surprised by that. Let's put a pin in that. Let's come back. Cause I, I do have, I, I am not surprised, and I'll explain why coming up after this break. i got to tell everyone first, though, what a transition I have to do here, to about our friends at BetOnline. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional sport out there. That includes pro football, college, the college bowl season, the NBA basketball, and a whole lot more they have it all at betonline.net for instance the Cavs right now are plus 800 to win the east that is the fourth best odds in the conference by comparison the celtics are plus 190 the bucks are plus 260 the nets who the cleveland obviously just played are plus 500 the 76ers are just behind the Cavs at plus 900 that's plus 500 if you love sports podcasts you can find those at betonline as well they are always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. That's bet online. That's where the game starts. All right, back here on Lockdown Cavs. Chris Manning, Danny Cunningham. So, Danny, I, I'm not surprised. I think we have. There has been like enough game film. I think numbers on this lineup to like look at that and say that that lineup isn't working. That Lamar is the fifth guy in that lineup. Just isn't isn't. Totally working. JB seems to like it because of I think I think he sees Lamar and he sees okay. Here's a guy who's a three four combo, something we really really need. 
and he's like the one guy that we can have that can kind of play that defend up a little bit. And I think he just looks at Kevin Durant and says, like, I don't want to put Evan Mobley on him fully. He goes to this later in the game, which was interesting, and I it was interesting to watch. I would have liked to see more of it. One of the, the bummers of Durant following out is you don't get to see more of Mobley kind of guarding him in these big pressure situations. But it makes sense to me because I think he's ch- I think they are chasing like a kind of more traditional wing defender. And I th- it feels sure. like that's something they're searching for. And Lamar, t- I think just from a size perspective, that is what he feels like he was searching for and going for that. Sure, and, and I get that. But, you know, in the same breath, that lineup had a net rating. And I get, like, it's a small sample size. They played 12 minutes together tonight. That lineup had a net rating of minus 42.5 against the Nets. Like, it, it's just, and I, I would have to look, and I'll pull it up now, as far as what that groups, they are, their net rating is a negative for the season on a team that's 22 and 12 or 22 and 13. For that group to be its most frequent lineup to have a net rating, that is a little troublesome. And, you know, it's not to say Isaac Okoro is the answer because if you sub him in for Lamar Stevens, he, there's a, a better net rating, but it's still a negative. That's an issue. That lineup, Danny, got smoked in the last three minutes of the first half, where I think this game Absolutely got lost wrecked. in a lot of ways. Absolutely wrecked. I mean, they they subbed Evan Mobley back in for Isaac Okoro, and then and it's not to say you know this is Evan Mobley's fault, this is someone else's fault, or whatever, but they made that change with about three minutes and twenty seconds left, and then the Nets just absolutely obliterated the Cavs. Went from a four-point deficit for Cleveland up to as many as 17, settles in at 15. That That is like, that calls well, you the game. 16, because they, they, they oh, changed yeah, right. 16. the one shot. So it yeah. really was 16. Yeah, so it's 16, as many as 18 in, in practice there. Utterly just, like, cost you the game. They won the two last two quarters. If they if they are within five, six, this game plays it differently. That, that game flow there absolutely killed you. That was a quarter that the Cavs... We're winning. They they ended up getting outscored in that quarter, thirty-one to twenty-seven. Without that last run by Brooklyn, it's like a twenty to six run. That quarter is a much more in favor of Cleveland quarter. That is really yeah. that is just like a brutal thing. I I also look they they played a little bit of a core Stevens in this game. Those lineups are getting outscored by like ten points per hundred possessions this year. I think those you got to throw those in the bin and forget about them and and just kind of move on because they're they are and, not and you, working. You can't play those two together unless you have three other shooters on the floor with them. The Cavs don't have anyone at the five right now that they can count on as a legitimate threat from outside because Evan Mobley's not there yet, and we know Jared Allen's not that. Robin Lopez is not that, and they're very, very rarely do they play Kevin Love at the five. The, the minutes on that are so small. So you it's- can't do that. Like That's the only avenue where you could do it is if Kevin Love can play the five, and defensively, this is not going to hold up. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's, Dana. We're gonna do with rewards. I have them picked out. I will give them out, and you'll you'll just help me talk about them. So let's go MVP. Cool. Darius Garland has to be the MVP of this game because he this game is not competitive unless he does what he does. He plays thirty nine minutes, fourteen to twenty from the field, five to seven from three, thirteen to fifteen from the line. Danny, only once in his career has Darren Garland take Darius Garland taken more free throws in a game. Took sixteen in a game last year. Never, never has had more than fifteen. This is one of his most Frequent games where he got to the line and just was attacking and attacking and attacking. Eight assists against just one turnover. Again, game high 46 points. This is a game where Donovan Mitchell only has 15 in his 5 of 16 from the field. They, just an absolutely mammoth game from Darius Garland. 
He was fantastic. Um, I think, and I realized, you know, he had 50 plus a couple, uh, I guess a month ago now when they took on the Wolves at home in, a, in what was also a loss. I thought that this was a more impressive game from him. Um, not just because he was a little bit more efficient, but he also had to, and I'm not saying he did great, but he had to defend Kyrie Irving on the other end too. Like that is certainly more physically taxing than having to, you know, track down D'Angelo Russell and Jalen Noel as he did when the Wolves were in town. And to do it on, you know, get to the line as often as he did and be as efficient as he was, I was very impressed with his night. Can't think of a, of a better Darius performance in a lot of ways. Uh, that leads to stat of the night. Danny, we talked about this a bunch. This is just the thing that I think comes out of this game. It's the corner threes. 4-13 on corner threes for Cleveland. If you're going to take that many of them, which is like, and, and they were more than double their normal like kind of rate of shots from, from the corner in this game. I, I like that. That's the game to me. Like you, you're going to take these shots and, you know, Donovan was asked about a post game. He says, you just have to keep shooting. He was very just like, you have to keep shooting them. Yes. They're going to be there. They're going to be something you have to make. And if you're going to take that many of them, like that, that dictates so much of what happened with this offense. And it was, and it was just, it was Mobley. Jared Allen took one. Lamar took a couple. No court took a couple. And like they, they didn't make enough of those shots to really, really, really move the needle. Yeah. That, that was, that was the biggest issue offensively, I thought, for them. Um, there were certainly some other issues. Donovan having a, a tough night certainly changes their equation offensively a little bit. But if teams are going to allow them to shoot corner threes at the rate the Nets allowed them, and I think that we're going to see more teams allow them to do it, they have to start making them. Outside of layups and free throws, the corner three is the most efficient shot in basketball, and the Cavs are not good at it. It's hard to be a really good offense when that's the case. It's it's really hard. And like, even just like from a spacing perspective and functionality, Evan Moby's offense will look better if they can make more quarter threes and he could have just a little more room mm -hmm. to breathe when they run actions. And on the, on the action side of the ball, if they had a, a, a real spacer in the corner on the same side as the action, that's going to loosen things up for Darius Garland to get into the lane, like for Donovan Mitchell yeah. to get into the lane for Jared Allen to roll like that. It is just like a problem. It just is. You can, you can, it just it just is like this is a structural problem. You can overcome it. They've like obviously had a pretty good offense considering, but it's 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 a problem at the highest highest level, and that's kind of what we're getting at here. Okay, final thing, play yes. of the night. Danny Darius Garland did something in this game that I I just it was the play that made me just kind of like go a little my internal Chris Berman and like whoop in my brain a little bit. Fourth quarter, <laughs> four whoop four thirteen to go. Darius Garland that up and under great. layup, pure craft. Hezies get past Nick Claxton on the switch, beats Yuta Watanabe helping over on the side. When he is not just like dribbling, 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 and he's using his dribble for something, and he gets downhill, he's not like the fastest guy or the most explosive guy. Like He's not going to do John Morant stuff. But when he is like purposefully propelling himself downhill with his basketball, it, with the basketball and doing stuff like this, it is like just really fun. And he's really hard to guard when he's, when he's attacking like this, like he did in this game and, and in this moment. Chris, I think one of the best things that Garland can do is he can force opposing defenses to play at his speed. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we talk, and you you bring up John Morant and, and some other guys that are certainly quicker and more athletic than Garland, but I think Garland has the ability to slow defenses down and make them play slower than they want to play because he kind of has that, that change-up, right? He's sort of like an off-speed pitcher in baseball that just nobody can touch. He's not going to overpower you 
but he's crafty enough and he's going to get you out of your game and put you in uncomfortable situations to where there's nothing you can do to stop him. And that's, that kind of is the best way I can describe that play that you mentioned. It was a gorgeous hesitation move that re- <laughs> I mean, it made Nick Claxton look silly and it, it was not a great window for him to get that, that floater off. And he, just kisses it off the glass perfectly. It was, it was beautiful. He is incredible. And like, I, you know, like I, I have felt sometimes this year that he and Donovan are trying to figure out how to play together a little bit. Um, I, I don't know. Like, we'll see like what he looks like in the all-star conversation, but this guy, man, like he has just something, he has a level in him. Like, I don't think we, I do not. I feel like this is one of those things where it's reminded we have, probably not seen his best basketball this season yet. I would no, imagine. No. It doesn't feel like we have. I'd be can very he, surprised if if he's not yeah. better at the end of the season than he is now. Yeah, he is. I'm gonna I'm pulling up his basketball reference page real quick. So he's playing about the same minutes as he did last year. He's down a little bit from the field overall. Uh and he's at the same rate from the same percentage from three and pretty similar volume. So it means he's struggling on two pointers. That kind of gets figured out, and he's taking more fruit throws, which is nice. But he gets some of the two pointer stuff figured out. Maybe that that efficiency kind of leaps a little bit. And look, maybe that's again that is another spacing thing. That is another situation where you have more spacing. Maybe Darius Garland is getting an easier look at floaters, is getting to the rim a little bit more. Like there's just some positive effects, some knock on effects from just having a more stretched out floor. Um, and look, the Cavs are smart. They know this, and this that's. You, you would at some point I think this is like the thing that we will look at and say okay that is the thing they have to go out and fix and figure out how to do it okay one more break we'll come back and we're going to talk a little bit about the Raptors game from um right before Christmas no pot we didn't do a pot in that game but I'm gonna ask Danny a question and that's are the cat are, are the Cavs in a bad <laughs> matchup when they play Toronto because uh they might be but first Today's episode is brought to you by NHTSA. Did you know that driving high is considered driving under the influence? That's right. Driving under the influence of marijuana is against the law in every state, even in states where marijuana is legal. That means driving high could get you a DUI. And if you think law enforcement officers can't tell when you're driving high, you're wrong. Your friends can tell. Your coworkers can tell. Even your parents can tell. Everyone can tell. So what makes you think that law enforcement officers don't know when you're driving high? I mean, you shouldn't think that. Driving under the influence of marijuana can slow your response time and change how you perceive time and speed. So even if you think you're fine to drive when you're high, you're not. Because the bottom line is, if you feel different, you drive different. And driving high is driving under the influence. So remember, drive high, get a DUI. Paid for by NHTSA. All right, last segment, Lockdown Cast Podcast. Chris Manning here with Danny Cunningham from... ESPN 850. Check him on ECT when it's on the airways and, and read him at thelaneondemand.com with some great caps. He will be traveling on the road soon. So you want to read his dispatches from the great American West? Oh, yeah. On, on all your social Please. media platforms. I, I, I watch him post on post. It's, a, it's amazing stuff. Um, yeah, it's, you know, can't get done anywhere else. No, you can't. You just got to go post on post, <laughs> mess it on all your, all your platforms. He's going to be TikTok dancing soon. It's going to be wild stuff. Yeah, let's not get carried away. Okay, okay, a little, a little too, a little too farther. So, I, I, maybe we lump the Nets into this as well, Danny. But if we're getting ahead of ourselves and thinking about April and thinking about like what the Cavs are as a team, I can't help but like look at Toronto, and the Cavs are now zero and three against them in the season, and have had just some weird losses against them. Like, in, and there's some asterisks in all of them in some degree. Maybe the opening night one more than anything else. But I kind of just think like teams like Toronto are a 
really bad matchup for the Cavs. And I, 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 I think that's over. It's, you're able to overcome it. it it's you can beat them in a series. The Cavs, I think, if you season ended today, they would probably be favorites, like against Toronto in a series. But I think like that's a really hard series for them. And I'm wondering if you feel the same way about teams like that that are a little smaller, play a little quicker, play a little physical. Are are those teams bad matchups for the Cavs as we currently understand this Cavs team? It's hard to say otherwise. I mean, look how the Cavs are built where they've got the emphasis on two all-defense guys in the front court and Jerry Allen and Evan Mobley, two all-star guards in the backcourt, and kind of a bunch of a roll of the dice on the wings. Like, you don't know what you're going to get out of Isaac Okoro or Lamar Stevens or Chetty Osman, and that's kind of all they've got out there. And then you look at the way the Raptors are built, Fred Van Vliet, who, you know, was good against the Cavs Friday night, has very much not had a good year for Toronto. Other than that, everyone else is just like between six foot seven and six foot nine and is made up of 90% arms. Like they're just so long, so active, so physical. Yeah, they're not the best at creating. They're certainly not the best shooting team, um, which, you know, Friday night was not a uh, a normal output for the Raptors against the Cavs where they shot over 50%. But that is a team that could cause havoc defensively for guys like Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. Like that is it's it's a series I would expect the Cavs to win to find a way to win because they are the more talented team. But it's not a series that's oh, the Cavs will win this one in 5. Like that is a 6 or 7 game series that if you don't have home court in, you could be in trouble especially with how good that team is in Toronto versus what they are when they come to the United States. Yeah. And look, look, as you have, they can throw OG on Donovan. That is like been a, I think a tough matchup for Donovan so far. Siakam has yeah. proven to be a difficult guard for the Cavs and Siakam's a really good player. Like there are some things there and like, we'll see if they make moves as well, but like they, they just play, they, the Cavs would need to show up like every single game. They just they would have to. And like sometimes that hasn't happened this year. They've said that a lot. Every team goes through that in the regular season, I think. That's just like an NBA thing. But like you can see the Cavs like acknowledging that, like, look, there's just times we're not showing up. Donovan talked about how like we're getting they're getting fouled every play and they know they're not gonna call it and they have to play through it. And sometimes they didn't. I mean, that Raptors game, Danny, was like so weird in some ways too, just because you pull, JB pulls all the starters in the third quarter and it's just like I'm done with you. Yeah. Like and then like a, a Robin Lopez at the five bench lineup, like brought the team back in the game with Howell Neto running point. And then the starters, like maybe that lineup stayed in like a bit too long and the starters come back in and played. Okay. But they lose that game. And then I look at this Nets game and it's like, okay, I think about uh, just the Royce O'Neal spacing off of stuff. I thought Nick Claxton gave Jared Allen, like a, a really for, like stout test in this game. You have to deal with KD that KD Kyrie yeah. two-man action was like really hard for them to guard with just the spacing. I mean, those two guys are geniuses and they have all the spacing outside of it. And then you think, okay, if, let's say you saw them in the playoffs, which is a possibility, absolutely on the table. You have, you, have, you throw Seth Curry, you probably throw Joe Harris into that as well. And like, that's just even more stretch. Like I think these teams that are uber stretchy, uber kind of built with wings are going to just be like a tough matchup unless there's like a move to be made or the Cavs just like a really healthy and player. Well, it's not, again, this isn't like, something that maybe keeps them from winning like a first round series, but it's just one of those things I think about if you're getting into, if you're just kind of maximizing what this team is, those are going to be the hardest matchups. Like you and I were talking about this at the game. I don't think it's fair to say, I don't think it's crazy to say that if of, of Brooklyn 
it's like you're saying you could pick like the Cavs first round matchup, and it's like one of Brooklyn or Philly. I think you're taking Philly, even with Embiid. Like you're yeah. probably just taking Philly and, and saying, okay, well they have roll of dice wings. We can we can make do with this, and that, and you go with that route. Well, I, I think you're taking Philly for a number of reasons. Like yeah, Joel Embiid is a a an awesome basketball player. Like he is without question one of the 10 best or 10 baddest dudes on the planet of the game of basketball. Kevin Durant's in that conversation too, though. And I think what Kevin Durant can do is a little bit more easily translated to the playoffs. I think that, you know, who would you rather in, this is a very layered conversation. Who would you rather have to deal with in the playoffs from an opposition standpoint, Kyrie Irving or James Harden? Like they both have their pluses. They both have their minuses, but at the end of the day, Philly's a team that, alongside those two guys are built more on defense where Brooklyn just wants to annihilate you offensively. And yeah, the Cavs have a great defense, but I don't think that they could keep up scoring wise with Brooklyn where I think that they could figure out a way to beat Philadelphia. Like that is if those two teams match up today, I would pick the Cavs to beat Philly. I would pick the Nets, especially with how well they're playing to beat the Cavs in a best of seven. Yeah. You know, let's end on this. Is there a fix to some of these issues we're talking about. Like what if you had to just think of a th- one thing that you would kind of like to see the Cavs try or, or go do, what what could what stands out to you as, as something that maybe could be a fix for this? So I think that there are some things defensively, um, such as allowing Evan Mobley to kind of play a little bit more point of attack defense. And I understand why the Cavs are hesitant to do that in, you know, we're recording this on December 26th. Like, I understand why they're not doing that a whole ton against the Nets. They did a little bit putting him on Kevin Durant, but, you know, that's not going to be your entire game plan in week 11 of the regular season. Like, you're going to wait to to really bring that out. You're going to try that, I think, against some lesser teams and test it in games that maybe don't matter quite as much and then bring it out in the playoffs after you, you're more comfortable with it. I think that is one option. Um, they have to find a way to upgrade that small forward position. Because the the group of guys that they have right now, I just don't think is getting it done. I think that putting Isaac Okoro in the starting lineup is something that makes sense for the time being. I think Dean Wade being the starter in the long term is something um, that makes the most sense for this Cavs team just because of the shooting that he can provide. Um, But other than that, you know, it's a little bit of a rough patch. Like this team lost two games in a row to two good teams. I don't think it's something that's worth freaking out over. At the end of the day, they've got four guys that are all-star caliber players in the starting lineup. In the NBA, more often than not, talent figures it out, and I trust that the Cavs will do that. I think that's right. The The one thing I would say I am most intrigued to see is if Dean – I think Dean Wade as a starter is kind of like the logical place this goes. It is not yeah. the most perfect fit, but if you're talking just about spacing, a little bit of off-the-dribble creation, ability to hold them on defense – and just kind of all the things the Cavs need from that spot, that is the most ready-made guy on the roster to do some of that. It just is. And what that means for some of these different issues, some of the, the as you kind of figure out your lineup things going forward, I think you, you have to just tinker and figure it out. The other thing I would say is I think Ricky Rubio, if he's Ricky Rubio, if he's healthy and is good to go, like, look, I don't expect him to be necessarily good in January when he plays, when he comes back. And I know he said pregame tonight, Danny, that he... Uh, won't play until 2023. Like he's not going to play before the year's over is what I believe JB said. Am I correct on that? Uh, yes. He, he was asked about that prior to the game and he said, you know, Rubio is not going to make his debut, which and they've got two games left in 2022, both of and them are road home. games. Yeah. I would expect Rubio to 
make his debut at home. Um, you know, he said he didn't expect Ruby to play before the new year. Cavs have two games right after the start of the new year. Maybe he doesn't play that January 2nd game against Chicago. I could see January 4th against Phoenix kind of as Rubio makes his return. But if not then, it might not be until Martin Luther King Day. Which, fine, get him healthy. But I think when he comes back and when you get some of his playmaking and some of his just kind of IQ and giving you another kind of guy that's a little more sturdy with the pass and then defensively, and it's just going to hold up. Like, that's his whole thing is he's just going to play really big for his size and maximize his. I think all that stuff is going to help. Like, I could absolutely see, like, whether it's him and Garland, him and Mitchell, who he's, and he's played with both guys, obviously. I could see at times, like, three-guard lineups with those three kind of being a funky thing the Cavs go to. Like, they are going to have some looks that he unlocks, and if he's right, it will help a lot. And that's a lot, that's a lot of a lot of things to bet on a guy coming off of a second tour in ACL on the same leg after he's 30 years old. Yeah. But that I think has value that guy and we'll see where it goes. All right. That is going to be it for this episode of lockdown cast. Danny, thank you again for coming in. I'm sorry. I haven't ducked you again, but thanks for it's, coming. It's through unfortunate. It. You know, I honestly don't even say sorry to me. Say sorry to Evan that he has to miss out on this. Yeah. He's, he's really missing out on a good time. Thanks again to Danny for coming through. Uh, check out lockdown Browns, lockdown guardians, all of your Cleveland lockdown shows. We'll be back tomorrow. I think Evan will be back. We'll see, but we'll be back uh, sometime on Tuesday, or excuse me, on Wednesday with more Lockdown Cavs. Until then, I'm Chris. Thanks again to Danny. Everyone be well.